Very special thank you to Mr. and Mrs. Yehuda and Yocheved Wagner tonight's here. It, uh, it's an amazing thing that through the vehicle of Torah Anytime, you have people across the country who are able to listen and, and, and follow the Shirim. So, very grateful for that. And um, this topic is one that I think penetrates so many areas of life. The, the title is, I hate to complain, but... It's disgusting. This is not Poland Spring. This is not Poland Spring. That's an example of a first world problem. We're talking about this on Shabbos a little bit. That phrase, a first world problem, was officially made part of the Oxford Dictionary Online in November 2012. And uh, it's an issue that we're complaining about only because the absence of more pressing concerns. That's a first world problem. A couple of examples here. Slow internet access, have to wait forever to finally have access. Having to wait too long to be served at, at the restaurant. It's taking forever for crying out loud, where's the waitress? We ordered already half an hour ago. Here's one that I enjoy, bad tasting coffee. <laughs> I used to make fun of people that would only drink brewed coffee. You know, you're a coffee snob. Until eventually, after many years, I couldn't do the instant anymore, and I also became a coffee snob. But even when you make the exact same coffee every morning with the exact amount of coffee and milk and sugar, it always has a little bit of a different taste. And sometimes it's just, it's gross. First world problem. Here's a big one. You're still fleshic after Shabbos lunch, and you need that coffee in the, af- in the afternoon, and there's no more parv creamer. That, that's torturous. Poor mobile phone connection. I'm losing you again. Can you hear me? FaceTime's not working. It's always a disaster if it keeps on freezing. Phone battery is dying, or low battery anxiety, which many of us suffer from. I only have 3% left. I'm not sure how long we'll be able to speak. And here's one that many suffer from is a strawberry banana shake spills over. So oftentimes you're making the shake and it's very thick in the blender. So you're trying to pour it out and it's just not going. So you think, you know what, if I just do this, it might come out slowly and smoothly. But then it just all comes out all over the cup and the counter. And you think to yourself, why? Why is this happening to me? Those are examples of first world problems. Now, a few examples of third world problems. One is drinking water. There are about 2.8 billion people around the globe that have an issue with getting fresh water. There are 1.2 billion people who do not have regular access to clean water. 1.2 billion people, that means about one-seventh of the entire world's population doesn't have access to clean water, and we wake up every morning and we just turn on the faucet. Poverty is another example. Almost 1.3 billion people are living in poverty, making less than $1.50 a day, working very hard. Child labor is a big issue. You have kids who are 12 years old being taken advantage of to try to make money, to try to do something productive. 
So we have first world problems and we have third world problems. What I'd like to explore tonight is the art of complaining. Why do we complain? When do we complain? Is there such a thing as a valid complaint? That's the, that's the goal for this evening. Now here's an important disclaimer. Sometimes if you're sharing a complaint with somebody, they might tell you, listen, there are many people that have it worse than you do. You're complaining about a headache, and I'm just, I, I can't function normally, it's been bothering me almost the whole day, and they tell you, you know what, I, I just read a story online recently, there was a guy who was working at the construction site, and a hammer went through his head. You don't have that at least, right? <laughs> So sometimes that's helpful, but oftentimes that's not. Because by telling me that other people have it worse, you're basically invalidating the way I feel. Maybe I'm a baby, but, but this is bothering me right now. The goal is not to invalidate our feelings. The goal is not to say that we're complaining about Narishkeit and how could we possibly be bothered by, by this thing. The goal is to gain a perspective and to at least categorize different types of complaints so as we find ourselves falling into that trap at least we could train ourselves to ask the question what category does this complaint fall under is this something that I feel is somewhat valid and it might be a healthy expression of the way I'm feeling or is this more of a first world complaint and I should really just stop it and, and get myself back in shape Shlomo Volba writes based on the Chobos Levavos, that our entire Avodas Hashem, all of our spiritual pursuits, is based on Hakaras Hatov, the recognition of good. Basically, living with gratitude, having gratitude as a foundation in our life, is the Yisod, is the building block for everything we're trying to accomplish in the realm of Ruchnius. He therefore says, it would appear that to be religious means that we have within us naturally believe kol adam bari benafsho in any or in every healthy human being koach shel hoda. We have the power of hoda, and hoda means two things. First and foremost, recognition, acknowledgement. I'm able to acknowledge the good that I'm receiving. The second meaning of Hodah is feeling a sense of gratitude, of thanksgiving. That, says Revolba, is really embedded in the very, the very framework of the neshama. We, as healthy human beings, thrive on gratitude. Yet we find in the research, this comes from Dr. Fred Luskin of Stanford <coughs> University, he says that the mind left on its own devices will generate negativity 75 to 80% of the time. Right, so that means if you're spacing out and you're not sure what exactly you're thinking, most likely you're complaining. And there's research that shows this. We just go into that mode of negativity. If it's about us, if it's about other people, about our surroundings. So on one hand, Revolba's telling us it's hardwired within our neshama this nature of gratitude, yet the research is showing us that we don't really think in those terms. We go to the negative more than we go to the positive. How do we understand that? 
I think the simple answer is, and we'll have to explore it further, I think the simple answer is, Revolba told us that for the healthy human being, this is the automatic response. Gratitude should be on the surface, on the forefront of our minds. However, I think likely living in the world we live in and having the challenges that we do, perhaps we're not as in tune with that healthy, you know, intrinsic neshama. And it could be that's why, practically speaking, we're not quite living a life of gratitude. Now some people are, are very stoic when it comes to making sure not to complain. And on one hand, that could be an indication of a, of a high level of spirituality they've accomplished. It could also be an indication that they're not really in touch with themselves. And, and, and I've seen this time and time again. I had a conversation with somebody recently, and we were going back and forth, and I was asking him, what do you want? What, what feels right? And the response was, I want to do the Ratzon Hashem. I want to do what, what God wants. That's my whole goal in life. And that's a very noble, very beautiful thing to say. However, I was asking him further, in order to do the Ratzon Hashem, you have to first know what you want to do. We have to know where we are and what we feel. Otherwise, that's not being a hero. I'm not complaining, I'm holding it in. That means you're just not in touch with yourself. And if I don't know who I am, there's no way I could bring myself to higher levels of Devekas and spirituality because I don't know who I am. I'm disconnected. So not complaining by itself does not mean you've achieved a high level. It could mean you're just not in touch with who you are and what you're feeling. The uh, Taurus of Ram, of Ram Grzynski, writes a beautiful thing regarding Adishut. Adishut is the Hebrew for apathy. He says sometimes you'll have a personality that they're not really emotional, they're not expressive, and what happens is they begin to be totally numb to what happens around them in the world. And matzav shel adishus holech v'gover ba'adam. And that kind of personality, not really caring about how I feel, that translates into not really caring about how other people feel. And I can live a life of adishus l'chayim kulam. I'm totally disconnected from the world around me. So sometimes the Ratzon Hashem is complain a little bit. Know who you are and know how you feel. We know that, medically speaking, the impact of complaining has, uh, has long-lasting, very negative ramifications. The hippocampus in the brain, and that's uh, an important part of the brain, that controls the transferring of the short-term memory to the long-term memory. And it also plays a major role in spatial memory, being able to navigate your surroundings. Research has shown that a life of complaining or getting into a habit where I'm constantly expressing negativity, that has an impact on shrinking the hippocampus to the point where my short-term memory is affected. 
My ability to, my, my spatial awareness is affected. That's one aspect of the brain that's shrinking based on the fact that I'm constantly complaining. And, and, and there's a lot of research on this. We don't need that though. We know from thousands of years ago, Shlomo HaMelech has informed us, Lev Semeach Yetiv Panim, that a joyful heart gladdens the face. And according to the commentators, that means it's healthy for the body. But a sad heart breaks the spirit. So too in the couple prokem later in Mishlei, that a joyful heart is healing, not just emotionally, but physically healing to the body. But despondency of the spirit, dries up the bones. So we've known this for thousands of years. The way we feel has an impact not just on us emotionally and psychologically, but even physically. Now the opposite's also true. Lev semeach yetiv geya, the joyful heart is healing. Being able to laugh, being able to, to be playful, being able to have fun, that changes you physically. Lee Burke from Loma Linda University of California, and only in California they would explore these types of things, writes that humor actually engages the entire brain. It's a whole brain experience similar to meditation. And that's good news, because everybody likes talking about meditation, but very few people actually meditate. However, if you're able to laugh, and have an enjoyable time, that has a similar impact on the brain as meditation does. Laughter may not only be good medicine for the health of your body, but may also be good medicine for your brain. So the question is, if it's such a wonderful thing, and complaining is so negative, why do we all complain? And why do we complain so often? So we have in the Parsha this week, Om kimisonanim ra Hashem. The nation, literally, they were like complainers, and that was evil in the ears of Hashem. So the nation was like complainers, and Hashem was experiencing this, and He was, he was disappointed. So there are two basic questions here on this whole storyline. The first question is, what was so bad about the complaining? You know, it would seem that we have good reason to complain. We're nervous. So, so what exactly were we doing wrong? What was so bad about the complaining? The second question is, just grammatically, and all that we've shown and point this out, why does it say the nation was kimisonanim? They were like complainers. Just say, they were complaining. What does it mean they were like complainers? So these are two questions I want to address. Before we do so, and I think in order to do so well, we have to first understand why do we complain? And I think if we consider the different things that lead us to expressing negativity, we'll find a couple different reasons. First and foremost, we have expectations unfulfilled. Now in Buddhism they would tell you the answer to all life's disappointments is never to have any expectations. Just be. 
And that, that, that's, a, that's a major idea in Eastern philosophy. However, in Torah philosophy, we demand a lot of ourselves, and we do have expectations, and we do believe in l'sakein olam b'malchus shakai, to, to bring the world to godliness. So to say live a life without any expectations, that's not really what we're here for. But that's reason one why we complain. Sometimes we complain because we're lacking the bigger picture. I could be so focused on this little issue in my life that's totally causing me to obsess over it, but there's so much more going on I'm not thinking about. I think the third major reason why people complain, besides expectations unfulfilled and lacking the big picture, is when there are actually major things that happen in one's life. When there's something big that's going on. There's a tragedy, there's a medical issue, God forbid, there's a major financial crisis. When there's something that totally uproots your equilibrium, that's another reason why people complain. Those are the three main reasons. Now, there are other side reasons as well. Sometimes I'm just doing it because I'm looking for sympathy or support or validation. Just give me a pat on the back. That's why I'm telling you all these things. Sometimes it's to avoid jealousy. How's the new job going? Making more than a quarter of a million dollars for doing like, you know, three hours of work a day? How is that? So your response is, it, it's so rough. It just, you have no idea all the stress involved and, and the, the boss is so demanding. It, you think it's only three hours a day, but it takes up my whole brain space. You want to avoid jealousy. And in the firm world, often we're concerned, I and horror. Right? Sometimes it comes from a superstitious source. We don't want to say anything good. Sometimes we complain to gain admiration. Yeah, you want to tell someone how exhausted you are so they know how hard you're working. Because if everyone knows that you actually go to sleep at 9.30 and wake up at 7, you're kind of a loser. <laughs> what are you doing with your life? No, oh my gosh, I had four meetings back to back yesterday on a driver. So sometimes I do it just to gain people's respect. Sometimes, and this could be based on whatever the, the underlying reasons for complaining are, once I do it enough, it becomes a habit. And now I'm just in the habit, this is part of the conversation. And there's actually research on that as well. Within every conversation, within every minute of a conversation, how much of that time is taken up with complaints? So, different reasons why we complain. An example to expectations unfulfilled. There's a beautiful Pasuk in Mishle. Shlomo HaMelech writes that all of the days of the poor person are negative. But one who has a good heart is constantly rejoicing. So if you're impoverished, you're poor, then it's all ra, it's all negative. If you're tov lev, if you're good of heart, then it's like one big party. So what is he talking about? Comes along the Vilna Gon, and he says, obviously we know the definition of what it means to be wealthy from the first mission in the fourth Perikoperkiavos. Ezu asher semech bechelko, the wealthy one, is the one who's satisfied and content with what he has in life. So it must be, says the Vilna Gon, that when here, Shlomo Melech says, the poor person is always negative, it means to say, 
one who has such a wide desire, I'm never satiated, I'm never satisfied. You can give me as much as you want, but it's never really going to make me happy. Everything in the world is not going to do it for me, it's not going to make me content. That's why this person's life, he's always bitter. He's always looking down on himself and others because he's never happy, because he's never satisfied. Tov Lev, the one who is good of heart, that's referring to the human being. I'm okay with what I have. I'm content. And this is the beauty, this is the, the science of being able to live a simplistic life. If I don't keep on needing more and more, and I'm not always looking at what my friend has or what I could have instead, or the next model of the iPhone I don't have yet, if I'm, I'm mistopic, I'm satisfied, that person, then, he's so mechtamid, he's always happy. So unfulfilled expectations will lead one to a life of negativity, and obviously I will share that, I will verbalize that, I will constantly complain. Sometimes we complain, like we mentioned, because we're lacking the big picture. The, the source in the Torah that many Rishodim quote for the mitzvah of being happy. What does it say in the Torah, you have to be happy, thou shall be happy? So it's based on the Pasuk. When Hashem is telling us about all of the calamities that will befall the Jewish people in the future, the Torah tells us, this is based on the fact that you did not serve Hashem with joy and gladness of the heart when you had it all. So it's one thing if, if life is so difficult and there's so many challenges being thrown my way, so I'm not fully into it, I'm not so happy in my Avodah Hashem, God says, you know what, I understand. It's difficult. But Meirov Kol, where everything is going smoothly and, and everyone's healthy and we're making a living and, 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 and I have friends and, and family and I'm still not, I'm still not getting in, I'm, I'm not getting energetic in my Avodah Hashem. That's Meirov Kol, Rashi explains, Be'od shayelecha kol tuv. When you had everything good going for you, you still weren't able to have a sense of gratitude and appreciation to really jump into your Vodas Hashem. That's, that, that's not okay. So that's complaining, or that's not really feeling the tova, the, the, the good of Hashem, because I'm not seeing the whole picture. We have a similar Pasuk in Eicha, Pasuk says, Ma'is onet odam chai. What is, there what is there to complain about if you're alive? And Rashi explains, this is the Rashi in the Gemara and Kedushin. He says, I don't get it. This is Hashem speaking. I'm giving you life every second. So it's true, life is happening, and there are things that are not going your way, and there are relationships that are difficult. But how is it possible to complain when there's so much chesed, when there's so much kindness that I'm bestowing upon you, you're still alive. And although things are rough, it sounds like from Rashi, and it sounds like from the Pasuk itself, the fact that I'm alive should be such a source of joy. The fact that I still have an opportunity to elevate myself and others, that should somehow overwhelm everything else that's bringing me down, and I'll have simcha, I'll have gratitude. 
Now these are higher levels, obviously. But these are examples of you're negative because you're not appreciating, you're not seeing the entire picture. I remember standing in a hotel lobby, a very fancy hotel. I was not paying for it. I was there for a wedding and I had points. But I'm standing in the lobby waiting for my room and there is a lady 10 feet away from me and I've, I've never heard someone speak like this to a stranger before. It, it was unbelievable. She was just yelling and cursing and on and on and this poor like hotel manager was trying to get a word in and she wasn't even able to respond. I can't believe it. Do you know how many thousands and thousands of dollars we're spending? This is the only three weeks a year we get a chance to go away. We wanted the top floor and we wanted the one with the view of the ocean. We don't have the top On and on and on with such anger. Now, I'm not criticizing her for, for speaking to the front desk and trying to change the room. They had something in mind. They paid good money for it. Try to get what you paid for but, but that level of just visceral cast coming out of the fire of the neshama, that probably means she wasn't appreciating the whole picture. She wasn't seeing the fact that, you know what, Baruch Hashem, I'm here with the family, and my husband's here, and we have the grandkids in, and we have a nice time together. She probably wasn't fully appreciating that. I'd also venture to say that her anger and disappointment, the complaining, was based on unfulfilled expectations, right? She had this, we all have this image in our heads, vacation, getting away, it's going to be unbelievable, it's going to be relaxing, we're going to come back totally revitalized, and that never happens. It's an amazing story with Yeshua Leib Diskin, in the 1800s in Yerushalayim. He was already an older man, but he had a very old aunt, Aunt Berta, Somewhat funny, right? We always speak about like Aunt Bertha. Her name was Bertha. As he was walking down the streets, the back streets of Yerushalayim with his gabai, with his assistant, and he was going to visit her. He would try to visit her as often as he could. He was an extremely busy person with really the weight of the nation on his shoulders. But uh, he made time to visit her. So they're going in this very dirty, run-down neighborhood. She herself is bedridden knocks on the door just to let her know that he's there. So he says, And Bertha doesn't hear a response. Again, And Bertha, it's Yeshua Leib. So he comes in slowly, the shamash is right behind him. And as you walk in the, the small apartment, you could just you could smell it. It, it. it reeks. It's disgusting. Now part of that is because she can't get out of bed and she doesn't have twenty four seven help. So she's living in, in, in filth. He comes in and they schmooze a little bit. She's very weak. And he says, is there anything I could do for you? So she says back, You should daven, daven that I should live a long life. And as she said that, the way the story goes is that his, his assistant was taken aback a little bit and she picked up on it. His question was, he, he didn't articulate it, but his question was, why do you want to keep on living? There's no quality of life, right? In Western civilization, it's all about quality of life. You can't move. You're, you're paralyzed and you're living in filth. So she said, you should know I have a nice young lady that she comes 
every week or so, and she changes the bedding, and she washes me, and then for the next two hours or so, I have her open the window, and the shul right across the street, I could hear all the brachos, and I say amen to the brachos, and amen gehei shmei rabbah, and I daven myself. So for those two hours, I look forward to all the time. That was her response. So again, that's a very, very high level of living with HaKor Satov and somehow seeing the whole picture, seeing well above and beyond what, what most of us would look at as just a terrible existence. Unfulfilled expectations, and I think even more so not seeing the big picture. Now there's a pretty well-known study that was done in 2003. There's always been much talk of gratitude and what it does for us, but they wanted to actually put it to the test. What exactly does it do for you? So they write, this is in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, that our primary purpose in this set of studies is to examine the influence of grateful thinking on psychological well-being in daily life, and thereby put to the test popular and classical assumptions concerning the benefits of gratitude. Their conclusion is, but they, they give different groups, different assignments. One group was, you have to write down a few things after every day that were hassles, that really made you upset, that really turned you off. They give a different group an assignment that after the end of each day, you have to write down everything you were grateful for. And they saw after doing this a few times that taking time to contemplate what you're grateful for isn't merely the right thing to do, it reduces the stress hormone by 23%. So being grateful takes away stress. Now, that sounds very intuitive. Now it's proven. But I think for us, the main thing is, if it takes away stress, and we know we don't want to be complaining, so granted, we might have unfulfilled expectations, and granted, we might not see the big picture, but why is it so hard just to stop it? Just stop it. So I want to get back to what happened... The nation were like complainers. We had two questions there. What was so bad about their complaint? And why does it say, They were like complainers. Comes along the Ramban. And the Ramban says, that when they left Harsinai, and this is their first trip now, into the, the vast, endless desert, so they got scared. And they were in a panic. Hayu mitztarim ba'atzmam, which literally means they made themselves feel pain. It was like self-inflicted anxiety. And they said, Ma'nasa, what are we going to do? How are we going to live in this desert? What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? How can we bear this burden? And when are we going to leave this place? They were freaking out. They were so scared. There's no end. There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Why does it say, Kim misononim? They were like complainers. Because really the truth is, they had no right to complain. They were painting a picture for themselves that wasn't really accurate. It was Hashem. Hashem was looking at this in disappointment. Because Hashem was saying, what, what, are you guys, what are you guys doing? 
What's your perspective? Don't you see everything that I've done for you up until this point? I'm clearly here with you, but yet you're putting on this persona, you're acting as if you're anusimu mukhrachim, that you're being forced to do something, and therefore misonanim, you're complaining, umisromim alinyonim, and you're, and you're putting down your life situation. That's not an excuse to complain. You should realize that I'm here with you. I'm, I'm your protection. I'm your shelter. It sounds like what the Ramban is saying is that that complaining was not valid because that was just based on totally missing the big picture. That's why it was like complainers. A real complainer is when there's real pain or there's real anguish, or there's real loss, or there's real tragedy. It almost sounds from the Ramban that there could be a level of complaining that does have some validity. Where Hashem says, you know what? I get it. Now obviously in the highest level we're not going to complain about anything because we have bitachon. But the Ramban seems to be saying we have different levels of complaining. If we're just totally missing the big picture, if we're looking a bracha in the face and we're complaining about it, then Hashem says, that's not okay. Stop it right now. What are you doing? That, I, I'm not going to validate those feelings because you're living in, in this illusion. If there's a real loss, there's a real crisis, I understand the complaining. We try to work through it, but I understand where you're coming from. So often in life, what we complain about are the greatest blessings that we have. And the people or the things that we would give anything for. I remember a, a lady once told me, Baruch Hashem, now she has a child, but for many, many years, her and her husband were trying and they were not able to conceive. And she told me, you have no idea how torture it is, torturous it is to be at the park to come to shul and to see all the mothers there with the carriages and the babies and running after their kids and complaining about how they had no sleep last night because their kid was crying at 3 in the morning. Do you know what I would do to have a kid cry at 3 in the morning to get me out of bed? So when we're complaining about the greatest brachos we have in life, that's not a valid complaint. So we have to catch ourselves and we have to organize our thoughts. I have to ask myself, one example I gave, I remember it was a year and a half, two years ago, but it was so, it was so powerful for me that the, a guy in a particular profession was complaining about everybody asking him questions. And it was getting to be just the overload, he doesn't have time for it now, they're not offering to pay. So as we were talking about it and, and working it through, it, it dawned on me that if nobody was asking you questions, how would you feel about that? If nobody needed you, where would that place you? So I wouldn't feel too good. So again, it, it's not to say people have it worse than you do. That's not going to help anybody. It's not going to help ourselves. But to realize that, you know what? Sometimes... I need this for my own existence. To feel good about myself, to feel that I'm productive and I can contribute and I can help people, 
I cherish these opportunities. Now sometimes it's a lot, and I can't handle all of it. But at least to realize what I'm complaining about is also the greatest bracha in the world that I would give anything for. What is the, the secret? What is the secret to stop complaining? And this is not about what we tell our spouse or we tell our children. It's what we tell ourselves. What is the secret to stop complaining and to really feel more gratitude? And like Revolba told us, gratitude is the yisod, it's the foundation for all of Avodah Hashem. And from all the health literature, it does amazing things for the body and the brain. What's the secret? So I'll ask you a question. What is the opposite of complaining? What would you say? Gratitude. Most people would say gratitude. Any other ideas? Not complaining. <laughs> That's a lack of complaining. But what's the other extreme? So gratitude, being thankful, appreciation. You're all wrong. The opposite of complaining is expressing gratitude. Complaining is not negativity. Complaining is I'm verbalizing negativity. The opposite of verbalizing negativity is to verbalize positive feelings, to express gratitude. The secret to stop complaining and to enhance our lives and our vodas Hashem, and it's not just about us, you have to keep in mind, this is such a crucial thing, the way we feel is infectious. The way we perceive life is contagious. And if we're positive people, that has a direct influence on everybody around us. That uplifts other people, that makes them feel good about themselves. It's an atmosphere of light and radiance and beauty. When we're constantly negative and we're complaining, it's not just about me and my spirituality and my emotional and psychological state. It's about everybody around me. Everybody is impacted by the way I feel and the way I see me and the world around me. So the secret to stop complaining is we stop complaining. Right? There's a sur ra and an asetov. Right? Avoid negative and do the positive. The avoiding of the negative is I'm going to stop complaining. Now can I make that Kabbalah? Can I promise for the rest of my life I will never complain again? You are a liar. That's not going to work. But there is such a thing as a detox. You have this, people go on, on a detox diet, you know, for the next three weeks I'm not going to have any carbs whatsoever. And that means the next morning they don't put as much sugar in their coffee. That's about it. But to really go on a detox, and this is my, my suggestion, my charge for all of us tonight. Let's do a study with ourselves and our own lives. Let's make a short-term commitment that no matter how bad my day is, no matter how annoying the guy is at work, no matter how bad the traffic is on the way home, my short-term commitment for however long you want to do it. You want to do it for four hours? You want to do it for four days? That's up to the individual. But we're going to make a Kabbalah. I am not going to complain. And at the same time, we're going to do the exact opposite. The opposite is, I'm going to do everything I possibly can to express verbally gratitude that I have to a Baruch Hu and to everyone around me in my world. 
there, there's an amazing Sefer Echinuch, a very famous Sefer Echinuch, where he says, and this is really his theme throughout the entire Sefer, you should know the human being is impacted, he's influenced by his actions. Right? Generally, we assume that my behavior is based on my cognitions and my feelings, but the opposite is also very true. I feel based on what I do. My heart and my thoughts are always based on my actions. And he says an incredible thing. I, I would love to do an experiment in this, but I'm not sure it would be halachically valid. He says, Even someone who's totally wicked, not just doing bad things, but bilvovo, he's, he's rotten from the core. He's been doing so many terrible things for so many years. And he's only scheming and, and plotting bad, immoral things. If his spirit would awaken him or allow him, and he says, you know what? I'm just going to do the mitzvos. I'm going to learn Torah. My whole day, I'm going to go through the motions of a very religious, pious Jew. I'll do the whole nine yards. I'm not doing it because I want to connect with God. I'm doing it because I want to test it out. I want to write a book. My brother showed me a book of, uh, I forget what it's called, something about living biblically for a year, where the journalist tried to just look at the Old Testament and live his life according to the letter of the law for a year. He did some pretty strange things. I didn't read the book itself, I heard the recap book. So I'm just doing it to write a book afterwards and hopefully get famous from my, uh, from my cultural endeavor. Says the Sefer Chinuch, Miyad yinata elatov, right away, not years later, but as soon as I start this program, as soon as I begin these behaviors, and I make a real commitment to changing at least my actions, automatically something begins to, to churn within me, and I start changing and going in that direction myself. And the opposite is also true. You could be someone who is totally righteous. I'm so pure, I'm so holy, and all I want is to connect with the Torah and the mitzvot and Hashem. However, if I allow myself to behave in a, in, a, in, in, a, in a way that's not according to the Torah, eventually that will transform me as well, and I'll lose my connection, I'll lose my righteousness, I'll lose my spirituality. <coughs> this has so many applications, but when we talk about complaining, the Sur Meirah is, I'm making a Kabbalah, I'm doing an experiment with myself, if you want to bring it up with your spouse and you could be there, to have some level of accountability, that might be a good idea. I'm not going to complain for this amount of time, and to the contrary, I'm going to express gratitude as much as possible. The mind is kind of like a baseball glove. Deep analogy. What do you do when you get a baseball glove? So at least in my day, you would first put some oil on it, right? you would put the ball inside of it, and then you would tie the mitt together, and then eventually you would drive the car over it a couple times to really loosen it out. But the more you do that, and then the more you use it, so the more, the more you can move it. And it loses its stiffness. 
the brain is the exact same way, the neshama is the exact same way. The more we do something, the more we become that quality. So if one of the reasons we complain is based on expectations unfulfilled, or not seeing the whole picture, or one of all the other, I want to show off, or I don't want you to be jealous, or anything else that comes along with it, the bottom line is, it has created a habit in our lives to the point where, like we saw in the beginning, Fred Lutzkun, the natural state of the mind is 75-80%, we go to negativity. Because we're not healthy anymore, like Revolba told us, to have that natural hoda, acknowledgement and gratitude. The only way to change that, or the most effective way to change that is, by changing that. I'll share with you one, one last study here. That a study in gratitude, I, I saw this years ago, where they had people come in and write a small essay about the person they thought influenced them most in life. You know, they had respect for, they had gratitude towards, and then they told them, you know what, now that you've done this, I want you to call that person and read this paragraph to them. (laughs) And what it sounds like, if I remember correctly, just writing what I feel about that person, writing that down on paper, they would grade them on a scale of 1 to 10 when they first came in, their level of happiness and contentment in life. And then they asked them again after you wrote down all your feelings of hoda to this particular individual. Most people's level of sibcha sechayim went up a little bit. Just focusing on the gratitude is significant. When they made the phone call and they actually verbalized what they wrote to that person, it was a whole different realm. When you have to say something to somebody, it becomes so much more real, and the more real the words are, the more of an impact it has on me. If you've ever been with someone right after they've lost a relative, and they're making calls to loved ones, or you have sons, daughters, they're calling people up, letting them know that, that someone passed away. The person can be pretty fine, they're obviously devastated, but they're composed. Once they make the phone call and they have to say the words, yeah, um, Zadie passed away, more often than not, they break down. Why are you getting so emotional right now? It's the koach adibur. It's expressing emotion makes the emotion more real. And that's why we have so many areas of Torah and Hashkafa where it's not enough to think it. Don't think the brach in your head. You're not Yotze. It doesn't work. You have to say it. You can't just think Shmon in your head. You have to verbalize the words. It makes it more real and it changes you. So, our homework is, Sur Meirah, let's choose a, an amount of time, no complaining whatsoever. say Tov. We're going to go and verbalize gratitude to people. Let's try to focus on the brachos. The point, the whole goal of the brachos is for this very reason, to have more of a hodah, an acknowledgement and a gratitude to Hashem. And let's also have the categories in our own heads, not to, not to put other people down or invalidate their complaints, but at least for ourselves. Is this complaint a first world complaint? Is this complaint staring a bracha in the face and not appreciating it? Or is this something that's a real challenge? And you know what? I'm going to try not to, but Hashem understands. A good job.